Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line as he does every week, it's Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? Hey, Winnow. How are you, mates? Good to be here and um, good to have the NBA back in full swing again after a bit of a break the last uh, few days. Certainly is, mate. And what we thought we'd do, given that there hasn't been a lot of games since we last spoke, is just concentrate on the second half of the season. Myself and Caddy are going to nominate a team from each conference that intrigues us the most. So we'll start with you, Caddy, and we're going to start with the East. Which team out of the East intrigues you the most? I look at the moment, I mean, coming out to this second half of the season, when you're looking at the standings in the East, the team that I'm sort of wondering, you know, whether they can sort of make a charge back in towards the uh, top echelon of the East or whether or not they're kind of going to be the one that falls, you know, right away is the Toronto Raptors. So they're currently sitting in the ninth position, albeit on the same uh, win-loss as Atlanta, who are in the eighth spot. So they're just coming off the back of a three-game losing streak at the moment, which has sort of dropped them right down, as we've you know mentioned quite a few times, that sort of chasing pack in the East is really, really tight. So pretty much from spots four through to 11, um, there's only three-game gaps. So once you do go on a, a losing streak or a winning streak, you know, you can really propel up or down those standings. And at the moment, it's the Raptors that have had those three-game losing streak and now fallen into ninth spot. So look, there have been mitigating circumstances around those losses with a lot of key players being out at the moment with the health and safety protocols, in particular Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet and OG Ananobi. So that's, you know, really um, weakened their lineup and it's, you know, obviously allowed a guy like Norm Powell to come out and really get some big numbers uh, going for his for his own self, but it hasn't worked into any winning for them. So they're really going to be pushing to get these guys back ASAP because it, they drop a few more games again, you know, they're, they're really starting you know, to fall out of touching distance, to the, particularly the top four sides. So they're the ones that I'm looking at probably from the really strong East teams. You've got Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Miami and Boston. And it was probably Toronto that you would have looked at at the start of the year and said they're the six, six most talented teams that would be fighting it out in the Eastern Conference. So Toronto's the one at the moment that's dropped away and then, you know, sitting behind New York, Charlotte and Atlanta in, in a chasing pack with Indiana and Chicago. So of those really talented teams, Toronto... I'm looking at whether or not they've got it in them to really push back up. Is it through a trade? Is it just getting the bodies back on the court? Are they good enough? Can they compete? Or is there a few other things that are going to take place throughout the season to sort of see whether or not they're going to be um, a contending team? How do you sort of sit with them? Are you kind of getting that feeling that they're they're falling away a little bit or do you think they've still got a, a charge left in them? Yeah, we did speak about them a couple of weeks ago and we thought that they'd obviously had a bit of a slow start to the season and were struggling a little bit. Now, they had started to get their act together um, and then we're really unlucky, as you said there, with the with the COVID protocols there and dropped the last three games, which is quite understandable given the cattle that they've had out that you mentioned there. So, look, I think they're probably outside that top four teams in the East um, and probably just on the bubble of that. So it's going to be really interesting to see what does happen with them going forward. Their, their GM, Masai Ujiri, as we know in the past, hasn't been afraid to pull the trigger on on some trades. So I think that's the most intriguing aspect of that for me. Do they look to move on? And we have spoken about this in the past with, with Kyle Lowry, you know, the the best player in, in the history of their franchise. So there's been a lot of noise about that. Lowry has come out recently and said he wants to retire as a Raptor, but that obviously doesn't mean he has to finish this season as a Raptor. He could certainly move on and then come back. And we've seen players in the past sign those one-day contracts and officially retire for their team. So there's been, you know, a bit of chatter that maybe that's sort of what he means by that and he could be looking to move on. And Philly's a name that continues to come up given that he is a Philly native. So I'm really intrigued to see what they do there with Kyle Lowry. And the other one that you mentioned there is Norm Powell, who has really come into his own, and certainly in these last three games, when all these guys have been out, he'd be averaging close to 35 points 
uh, over the last three games, and I know that all too well because I've been playing against him in fantasy this week. So given that he's uh, got a team uh, player option, sorry, for next year, you'd reckon given how well he's played this season that he would opt out of that and look to go on the free market. So he could be another guy that they maybe look to move on and get some picks for him if they think that he's going to command too much money in the open market. What do you think out of Lowry and Powell? Do you, do you see uh, Toronto moving on from either of those or maybe one of those? I think it'd be a really big surprise if they did move on Lowry before the end of the season. I just think, you know, as you mentioned, he's standing within, within the organisation as such that it, it would be a massive call uh, to do it. So, look, I think at least, particularly if they can get those players back this week and, and back playing, they really need to give themselves a chance to sort of see what they had still with, with the lineup that they'd got. And if they can kind of peel off two or three wins again and, and move back into the, the eight, then I think they'll probably just about ride it out with Kyle Lowry. The flip side of that would be if they do get the players back and don't start winning again and they drop too far down, then you know potentially there's a move there to be made. The deadline's two weeks away, so there's still you know probably five or six games in there to, to get a bit of a feel for, for the roster and where it's sitting. I think the, the biggest thing for them at, at this stage is on the defensive end. They're just um, getting killed at the moment. Um, and that They're ranked 16th in the league in defence. They're ranked 30th in block shots. So there's just a real issue there, and uh, even though the, the play of Aaron So can you see middle, them obviously trying to rectify that by trying to add a big man at the deadline? You'd, you'd obviously think that would be their, be their biggest priority. Well, I think so. I think that's the absolute priority is to get some, you know, get some fixes in, in the in the inside. So whether that comes about through trade or through the buyout, we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, we spoke about Andre, Andre Drummond a few weeks back. For me, if there's a buyout opportunity, it's whether or not he would then think Toronto's going to give himself the best chance to win or he, they might sort of give him some reassurances that there's a, a longer-term future there with the franchise. They just said they're going to have some money freed up next year anyway with Kyle Lowry coming off the books. I'd be surprised if, even if he was to stay in Toronto, that his number's certainly going to, not going to get anywhere near the thirty million. He's with this year, and Norm Powell, as you mentioned, will will no doubt opt out of that player option and look to sign a longer term deal, whether it be there or somewhere else. So they, with Larry going forward, do you, do you think you know? Let, let's say he stays there for the rest of this season. Do you think in the off season he would look to move on and try and go to a team that he thinks is right in that championship window, or do you think that he'd be sort of content to to stay with Toronto and, and finish there? No, look, I think he'll move on. I think it, just the way, you know, they, they're they going to probably progress forward. It's going to be around Siakam. It's going to be around Van Vliet. And this is Larry's opportunity to go and um, do something else for himself in a, in another city. And I think he's done everything he can at Toronto. He's won the championship. He's made numerous all-star games. And, you know, he's going to go down as probably the, the greatest player in their franchise history. So, yeah, I think the timing will probably be right at the end of this year uh, to move on. But as I said, if they can get on a roll and get back into that mix you know, with the Bostons and the Miamis, then, you know, we saw what happened last year um, in the bubble where Miami just went on that run and got all the way to the final. So anything can probably happen, and particularly in a season like this, if a, a, a team experiences something similar to what they have, then, you know, there's going to be paths that might open up. So I just think they need to tweak a little bit, particularly in the big man department. And, and again, there might be some hope for them to really turn it around going forward over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, no doubt it is one of those seasons where anything can happen. You mentioned there what happened with Miami, and that, and certainly given you know the the situation that that every team's faced with this year, you, you probably don't want to punt the season too early. But I think you mentioned there you think you thought Lowry in the off season would would look to move on. Well, if that's the case, they need to have a conversation. Look, I'm sure they probably have. Maybe they know 
you know, maybe Lowry's told him, look, I'm going to stay in the off-season. But, but if they've got any doubt or he's sort of indicated that he's probably going to look elsewhere in the off-season, they might as well move him on. Like, what's the point of, of him finishing this season? I did say that, you know, maybe you don't punt the season too early, but a lot a lot would have to go right for Toronto to, to sort of make the finals or, or win a championship this year. So maybe you need to look at that. I'm not sure what they, they would be able to get for him. I mentioned there earlier that Philly are certainly keen on him. And there'd be a number of teams. Like Kyle Lowry's that sort of player. He's a great leader. We've seen him, you know, perform in the finals against uh, Golden State a couple of years ago. He was massive in that closeout game for him. So th- there'll be a lot of teams that would be willing to certainly give up, whether it be draft capital or some quality young players to get him. And he- and if you think he's going to leave at the end of the year, I think you know, Toronto probably should pull the trigger and move on from him as hard as that would be. Now, the team that intrigues me the most uh, heading into the second half of the year in the East is the Indiana Pacers. Uh, now, they lost today to the Lakers, so that, that slips them to 16-20 and 20 and 10th in the East. They've got an offensive rating of 17th, defensive rating of 13th, uh, and a net rating of plus 0.2, which is 15th in the NBA. Now, the main reason that uh, the Pacers intrigue me so much is they've just been desperately unlucky with their injuries. We saw at the start of the year they had Oladipo with them, and he was averaging close to 20 points a game, uh, six rebounds and four assists. And in the nine games he played, they were actually six and three. Now, they made that trade and they brought in Karis Levert, who they thought were going to be basically a like-for-lock swap for Oladipo. And when he had the physical, it was discovered that he had that mass on his kidney and he had to have surgery. And he was out from the moment they traded for him. And he actually came back today. It was his first game as an Indiana Pacer. So they were really unlucky to pretty much lose a quality player for nothing there. And TJ Warren as well, who we saw perform exceptionally well in the bubble last year. He's only played the four games for him. Now, we don't expect that he's going to be able to produce at the level he did in the bubble this season again, but he's generally good for sort of 15 to 18 points a game. So their offense that has struggled, I mentioned there, their offensive rating of only 17th in in the competition. You'd imagine they had a Karis Levert who's good for 18 to 20 points. TJ Warren is good for sort of 15 to 18 points. You'd imagine they'd be able to uh, jump up, you know, pretty significantly in in the offense there with those two. And if you look adding those two guys, you you're starting five of Brogdon, Karis Levert, T.J. Warren, Sabonis, and Miles Turner. Now that's a really quality starting five. And then off the bench, you're bringing Jeremy Lamb, who's also missed a lot of games this year. He's only played the 21 games. Dougie, Dougie McDermott, who's playing 26 minutes per game this year. Now now that's too that's too much for Doug McDermott. He's good in a role where he can come in, play sort of 15 to 16 minutes. Uh, and, and hit some open threes. He's, he's been asked to overextend himself a bit too much this year. He's got his, he's got his lowest three-point percentage in the last six years, and he's basically a catch-and-shoot option that's been asked to do too much. So you drag him down to 15 to 16 minutes instead of 26, he's going to look a lot better. Aaron Holiday too, he's been miserable from, from three this year, uh, shooting only 35%. Uh, down from 39 last year. So again, I think he's been overextended in his role. Um, you, you drag him down, he gets a few more open shots because TJ Warren and Karis Levert are drawing the attention uh, of the defense. And TJ McConnell off the bench too. And we saw, you know, he, he's a terrier on defense. We actually saw leading into the All-Star break, he had that rare triple-double where he got 10 steals. So, you know, he, he plays his role really good. He's play, playing his career best basketball as a, as a backup point guard, and he can, he can obviously continue to do that. So that's a, a really solid nine-man nine rotation, in my opinion. And I think if they can get all these guys uh, out on the court, they can make a, a really big charge up the standings. I, th- I think heading into the season, they'll probably seem to be somewhere between that four to six seed range in the East, and I think that's probably still the case. But but on their day, and with all these guys firing, I think they could even trouble some of those top seeds. What do you see coming from the paces in the second half of the season, Caddy? 
Yeah, well, the other guy you didn't mention there was Justin Holiday. So he's been playing, you know, in the thirty high thirty minutes at the moment. You know, like today in today's game, he's had he shot two for eleven in thirty three minutes for five points and two rebounds. So if you're thinking those thirty three minutes can be passed on to a TJ Warren or a Karis Levert, well, I think that's an upgrade as well. So they are quite deep. You know, Holiday would go to a bench role in that case as well. So I mean, they they've probably packed above their weight a little bit with the issues they've had, and they've been able to hang pretty well close to that pack of teams in the East. So they're just sitting, you know, half a game out of the eighth seat at the moment and only two games out of the the sixth seat. So it's all there for them um, to get going if they can get, you know, Karis LeVert up and running. We quickly forget what a great, pretty much a pure scorer he had been at Brooklyn and he really played terrific basketball there and really established himself as a key part of their their growing uh, young core that they've now been able to transition into, um, you know, the, the star lineup that they've had. So, look, I think Indiana are certainly one that, that will move through. And it, it, you know, when you're looking at it, the, the easy ones to pick apart in the spots that they they'd be hoping to take are the New York Knicks and the Charlotte Hornets, who are occupying those six and seven spots at the moment, both with a 500% records, um, 500 records. So, uh, there are spots in there that I'm sure they're eyeing off. And even if not, you know, the, the playing tournament's going to be another way that they can potentially. You know, make their way through and get on a bit of a roll towards the end of the season. So, look, they, they've done really well. Sabonis has really carried them through. You know, if they can get uh, Levert and uh, TJ Warren back just to give him a bit of an offensive chop out as well, that'll certainly certainly help them on the run run home. Yeah, certainly will. And and also the thing with Levert and Warren is, look, they're not lockdown f- defenders, but they're long and lanky, and they're certainly better on that end than you know McDermott is. So I, I think also that their defensive rating, which is reasonably strong with 13th, and Miles Turner's been really good for them. Uh, all year leading the league in blocks. But adding those two guys with a bit of length uh, should certainly shore up that end of the floor as well. And they're probably going to end up being one of those seeds, whether it be, you know, maybe the sixth seed and you land as a three seed, whether it be Milwaukee or even Miami or Philly, if they drop off, you're not going to want to see the paces in that first round because it's going to be a really tough out, I think. Now, we'll move over to the West. And what West team caddy intrigues you heading into the second half of the season? Well, the team that intrigues me is a side we talked about a few weeks back and the fact that they were really struggling at that stage, and that's the Dallas Mavericks. Now, they've gone on a out of their last 10 games. They've won seven of those and got themselves back into the eight seed with a 19-17 record. So that's a really good effort considering, you know, the the issues that they had to deal with, like like many other teams, but they really got hit hard with the COVID health and safety protocols um, at the beginning of the season that really knocked them around. And, you know, Luka Doncic came into the season probably not quite in the condition he would have liked, and he's really certainly found his um, found his groove as well. So I'm looking at them as to see how far that they can progress. I think they are a playoff team and now that they are up and going. Pazingas is back playing and, and playing reasonably well too when he when he's come in. So that's a really um, massive positive. We, we spoke again a, a few weeks ago about Pazingas and whether or not he was going to be able to sort of hold that being the second best player on that team or whether he's going to be good enough to sort of be able to withstand that um, longer term in Dallas. But he's been able to come back from his injury and, and he's really got going it. Again, the first game back from the All-Star break, he put up 28 points and 14 boards. And they're the sort of numbers he really needs to sort of continue doing at, at a really consistent level if if Dallas are going to be able to continue to, to move up the standing. So I've got them in at, to, to be a playoff team at the moment. They're sitting eight. They've, the teams behind them, Golden State and Memphis, are probably the two that would be looking to get in. And I, I think Dallas are, are probably a stronger a stronger squad, certainly from both of those. So it's just how far they can push themselves up, whether they can get up into that five or six seed. 
um, will be interesting to see. But they've obviously got you know one of the best players in the league in Luka Doncic, you know running running the team for them then. And and, and again, I'm just so intrigued to see uh, how Kristaps Porzingis you know, can finish this season and whether he, he really can give that team confidence that he's the second banana. And then all they need to do is you know get into the off season with a shitload of cap space and try and find that third starter to pair with them both. Yeah, Porzingis certainly has uh, started to, to find his form over the last sort of couple of weeks there. And, yeah, cer- certainly that's what, what Dallas need. The rumours do still persist, though, that they are looking to trade him or certainly listening on Porzingis. Can you can you see any team sort of putting their hand up and, and taking on his contract, given his injury history? We know when he's out on the court and he can string some games together, he will generally put up numbers. Now, he certainly has – he's lost a little bit, bit of mobility. There's no doubt about that. He was branded the unicorn because he could shoot from the outside and protect the rim really well. I don't think he's quite the rim protector or defender that he was when he first started and when he came into the league with the Knicks. But he's still he's still okay. He's still blocking the one-and-a-half shots a game. Uh, can you see any team in the, in the NBA sort of taking that on and, and rolling the dice and, and, and eating that contract, basically? And do you think that Dallas are obviously only going to move him on if they can get something good in return? Do you think they can actually get something decent for him? I think that's more the case. I, I think, look, there'd be a team out there that would probably take the pun and, and absorb the money and, and hope that they can get him right and playing at a high level, you know, which, which he's been able to show us over the last couple of games. But I just don't think the, what would come back would be enough to satisfy um, the Dallas Mavericks, it'd be a really big shift for them to really walk away from Pazingas after, you know, they, they did put a lot on the table to bring him in and, and, and then extend him with a really significant contract. So, look, I, I think they'll be determined for this to work with Luka Doncic while he's still on his rookie deal, which runs for another two seasons. So I think it's really all about whether those two guys can continue to, to mix in well and, 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 you know, have some real confidence with the way they're, they're playing together and then find the third star in the off-season that they can you know, spend some cap space on and, and bring in. I just don't see that there'd be a trade that would um, be able to be facilitated that would keep Dallas happy enough to, to move him on. So I think that would be more the issue rather than the, the contract. Yeah, I agree. I, I find it difficult to believe that, yeah, as you said, I believe a team probably would take it on, um, but whether what they're going to give back, you know, D- Dallas don't really want draft picks, I wouldn't think. They're going to want somebody to basically come in straight away and help Luca get to the level that they, they believe he can. So that that's certainly the question there. What's intriguing with, with Dallas for me is Josh Richardson's the one that they, they made that trade with for Steph Curry this year. They, they, they thought it'd be a better fit. He'd given that defender. Now, look, he is still a, a pretty good defender, but, but he just hasn't turned out. His shooting's plummeted down to – he's only shooting 30% from three. And, you know, you change out Seth Curry, who's one of the best shooters in the game, and bring bring in someone like Josh Richardson. And, and Luka needs as much space as possible. And the, and the defenders just aren't honouring uh, Richardson at the moment, which is making life more difficult for Doncic. Now, he's still been able to navigate that really well. As you said, he came into the, into the season a bit out of shape, but he certainly rounded himself into form and he's sort of starting to push his name in, up into that MVP discussion. Although, you know, generally you'll have to play for a team that, that's going to finish in your top four in your conference if you're going to be a real threat to win the MVP. But he's certainly put, putting up MVP level numbers and we know what a quality player is. So I'd be interested to see whether Josh Richardson can sort of come around, give him that defense that they brought him in to, to give them, but also be able to hit that outside shot because I think it's really crucial to Dallas success that, that Josh Richardson find his shot. The other guy I've been really impressed with, and I think I mentioned this last time we spoke about Dallas, is Jalen Brunson's ascension as, as one of the best backup point guards in the NBA has continued. He's shooting 
53% from from the field and 40% from three. And for a guy as short as him to be putting up those percentages from the field, generally those smaller point guards do struggle with their field goal percentage. But he's, he's been really efficient. Uh, he's only averaging the 1.3 turnovers a game. So he doesn't throw the ball away when he comes out there and gives him a real steady hand. He was a four-year college player as well. So he is, he is 24 years of age. So he's obviously a little bit older for a guy that's only been in the NBA for a few seasons. But he's been a real steady presence for them off the bench. So I think he's going to be really important too uh, for them going forward. And similar to um, Indiana, which we spoke about uh, just before, Dallas is going to be one of those teams that if they finish you know, in the sixth seed or even if they do have to play in that playoff tournament and then one of the top seeds end up playing them, you're going to have your heart in your mouth as a supporter of one of those teams coming up against Luka Doncic because we saw what he did in the, in the playoffs last year. He hit that really big shot to win the game for him against the Clippers. We know he's not as scared at the moment. He's played in big games right throughout his career from a very young age. So he lives for those moments. So I think a number of teams are going to be really keen to, to dodge Dallas in the playoffs if they can do that. So we'll move on now to my, my most intriguing team out of the West, and that's the Portland Trailblazers. Now, they've got a record of 21 and 15. They sit six in the West with an offensive rating of 17th and a defensive rating of 28th. Um, the net rating is minus 0.4, which is only 20th in the NBA there. So the reason, very similar to Indiana, that they intrigue me, they've just had a really uh, horrid run with injuries. So CJ McCollum has only played the 13 games, and they were the first 13 of the season, and he was putting up career numbers across the board at close to 27 points a game and five assists, shooting 44% from three from nine attempts a game. So he was putting up a lot of attempts and hitting him a really good clip. And you could argue through those first 13 games that he was actually playing better ball than, than Dame Lillard. So he, he's obviously been a really big out for them. And, you, and Yusuf Nurkic as well, he, he's he, he's only played the 12 games, I believe. And, he, and he's basically a 15-10 guy from then since he's been in Portland. And, and he's only played basically the two full seasons for them. And now in the two full seasons he's played, their defensive rating has been eighth and 16th, which is obviously a lot better than that 28th defensive rating that they're putting up at the moment. So you add Nurkic as that backbone of your defense. He's no defensive contender of the year, but he certainly stiffens them up uh, and brings a lot more than Enos Kander does as a defender. And you run out a starting five of, of Dame, CJ McCollum, Covington, Jones Jr. and Nurkic. So you've got Dame and CJ have, all, have always been obviously a little bit susceptible because they're the two smaller guards. They can be exposed a bit. But you've got Covington and Joe Jr. as those lanky wings who are known for their defense. And then you put Nurkic at the back of that to stiffen that up. You'd imagine that that defensive rating is going to climb pretty significantly. If they can get that summer around sort of the 15 to 18 mark and, and their offense should improve too, bringing in CJ. If they can keep, even if they keep their offense around the seventh mark and they can get that defense around sort of the 15 to 18 mark, you reckon they're going to be able to make a pretty significant jump. And then they bring in Gary Jones, uh, sorry, Gary Trent Jr. off the bench, who's shooting 40% from three on seven attempts. Mallow, well, his minutes are at 25 a game at the moment. Well, that's far too much for what for Carmelo Anthony's bringing to the floor at this stage of his career. You get that down to somewhere between 15 to 17. It looks a lot better. And Enos Kanter as well. Well, he. Realistically, he's, he's a, a backup uh, center. Look, he's been really good for them. He's averaging close to 12 rebounds this season and has filled in admirably in Nurkic's absence. But he's more suited to that backup role. He comes in, he gets you some off um, uh, some really quick points. He's hard to handle in the post. He's good on the offensive glass. So he's just an impact player for you. And all of a sudden, your, your team looks a lot better when you bring in two quality players. And we know uh, how good Dame Lillard is in the clutch. His clutch numbers have been off the charts right throughout the season. 
and and similar to Dallas and Indiana, Portland are going to be one of those teams. You're not sure where they're going to finish. They are six in the West at the moment, but if they stay around that mark, th- those those top level teams certainly are going to want to be seeing the Portland Trailblazers in the first first round of the uh, playoffs. There, what do you see Portland bringing to the table in the second half of the year, Caddy? Oh, look, I sort of think you know the way they're playing at the moment, and as you said, if they can get CJ McCollum back uh, pretty quickly, which which I think is what they're basically speculating on at the moment, and Nurchich isn't too far behind him. The other guy that they haven't had all year is Zach Collins, so there's been reports that he might be able to be a chance to come back from his ankle injury by the playoffs as well. So that does add another wrinkle, particularly on the offensive end. So it's just whether they can, you know, you look at Portland year in year out, and they're always kind of thereabouts, but they haven't been able to really get over any great hump. So it's whether, you know, are they going to be a better team than Denver? Are they going to be a better team than Phoenix? Can they sort of get to the level of Utah? And then there's the 2 our lead team. So it, it does feel, again, probably it's going to be a bit bridesmaidy for the Portland Trailblazers, probably. But, you know, they've given themselves a chance now. They've really um, been able to get on a bit of a run to, to put themselves back in the picture. And I was hearing some speculation over the last couple of days, too, even about a potential return of LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, yeah, that's the interesting out. one, isn't it? It's, let's say that happens. Obviously, we're not sure what's going to happen there. But if he does come back to Portland, what do you think he could add to this team? Would he, as a small ball five, like, what do you think he would actually bring to the table? Well, I think he brings you the ability of just another veteran presence in that locker room. He's, he's been in big games and big moments before. Um, he can certainly come off the bench, and uh, for them, you know, potentially he could even go out as a starter, as a you know, playing next to Nurkic if that if that had to happen. But I'd, I'd prefer him coming off the bench. Playing the 15 to 18 minutes is just... Yeah, I think his days as a power forward are over. Yeah, and then, you know, you just know that he's got that ability to hit the hit the elbow shot, hit the one on the baseline. It's, it's pretty much money every time. And he's just got that um, ability to go for eight or ten quick points in a playoff game in the quarter and, you know, give a team a, a real lift. So I think that, that there would be a potential for him to help them, um, particularly to take some of that pressure off, you know, the scoring pressure off Lillard and McCollum. I don't think he helps... The defense as much, but you know it still would be an upgrade over Enes Kanter in that spot as well from a defensive point of view. So, look, I don't know what sort of terms he left Portland on when he did left. There was obviously, I'm sure they felt left down when they just brought Lillard in, and they could have had Lillard and Aldridge there for a number of years. But he decided there were to reports him. that uh, perhaps Dame and and uh, Aldridge didn't get along all that well, but it was mainly coming from Aldridge, Aldridge's side. I think he was a little bit jealous that they might, they might have put up a few posters and billboards in the city of Lillard and. He was obviously sort of young in his career, and I think uh, Aldridge didn't really appreciate that too much. And the, the reports where he acted like a bit of a dick was the report I read towards uh, Lillard. So, look, that was a long time ago, and a lot of water has gone under the bridge. But it would be interesting to see, you know, if he is welcome back there. I'm sure Dame would still take him. Yeah, look, at I, I just wonder whether if it, if it is in the buyout situation, whether you know we, he basically then can have his choice of a team to sign with. Would he be looking to go at find a team at potentially that higher echelon, whether it be one of the LA teams that he could help, whether it's a Boston in the East that's certainly crying out for another big guy? So it's whether it'd be interesting to see where he views Portland and whether he thinks that you know by going there he could sort of help them really push deep into the playoffs. Just on Dame, he's obviously having an outstanding season, and I mentioned earlier with Luca that you probably have to have a team, your team being the top four in each conference, to be a chance for the MVP. But but Lillard's numbers at almost thirty points a game. Uh, 4.3 rebounds, 8 assists, um, and I mentioned his clutch stats. Well, his clutch stats this year, he's played 71 minutes in the clutch, and the clutch is defined of a game within five points in the last five minutes of the game. So he's played 71 minutes in, in those scenarios. He's got 104 points, shooting 31 from 49 from the field, which is 60, 63%, 14 from 24 from the three, which is 58%, 
28 for 28 from the free throw line. And Portland are plus 42 in those situations and 14 and 5 record in those scenarios. So given all that, do you think Dame is sort of right there or given Portland's record, do you think he's going to find it sort of hard to challenge Brian and Embiid and these other guys? Oh, look, I think it's, the, the race is certainly opening up. I mean, we saw the uh, Joel Embiid injury today, which I you know, I don't know that there's been any um, news on terms of the severity of that. I believe there's going to be some MRIs taken tomorrow. So, look, if that's a significant injury... It didn't look great, did it? It didn't look great, and they, he's got to miss significant time. Well, that's going to probably put an end to his MVP candidacy. So it, will, it potentially could open the door up for you know, that next uh, rung of guys, whether it be Lillard or Doncic or whoever can kind of get on a, a run, and I think it'll, it will be about how far they can push their team um, up the standing. So, look, Lillard's numbers are unbelievable, and he's, he's playing at a, at a super level. Does McCollum coming back maybe you know, just bring him back a little bit? Um, potentially. So, look, he's, he's probably put himself again, you know, close to the conversation. I thought it was a sensational game over the weekend, the All-Star game, where he really did show on the big stage of just what a great shooter he was, and he pretty much went... When the cream rises you know, to the top in the All-Star, I know the defence can be Mickey Mouse, but generally the best players in, in the competition perform in the All-Star game, don't they? Yeah, it was just good to see him, you know, getting that due recognition, doing it basically head-to-head against Curry, albeit on the same team. It was just awesome to watch, and it was great for Dane to have all these peers there looking at him and, and so many eyeballs on it. So um, he's certainly a, a superstar and he's done such a great job in, in Portland. But as you, as you mentioned, as an intriguing team going forward, I just question, you know, have, have they got enough to, to sort of close that gap on the LA teams or, or put them over the top of the Utah, Phoenixes and Denvers? Well, that is a question going forward, isn't it? So we'll move on now to the players that intrigue us heading into the second half of the season. Now, who's the first player that you'd like to talk about, Katie, that intrigues you the most? Well, I'm really interested to see what happens with Victor Oladipo. Um, he got traded, obviously, earlier in the season from as part of the James Harden trade that where he went to Brooklyn. Uh, Oladipo ended up coming from Indiana to Houston, pretty much for a swap for Karis LeVert. Now, when he came across, you know, his numbers have been really solid still for Houston. You know, he's still averaging the 20 points a game. He was averaging 20 for Indiana at the start of the season, so those numbers are right on par. He's 20.1-point uh, average at the second highest in his career. So he's showing that he's been able to recover from that injury that took his most of last His efficiency's down quite a bit, though, isn't it? Yeah, his efficiency's down. His usage has gone up, you know, just with the situation that's happened in Houston where they've got so many players out of the side at the moment. You know, they've lost their last 15 games or something ridiculous like that. So, you know, their, their stat, the stats are pretty empty, really. But, look, I think the biggest thing for him is that he has shown that he has recovered um, a lot of the athleticism and you know the the injury that he did have last year hasn't isn't a disaster and he's been able to come back and play. You know, he's averaging the thirty three minutes a game. So look, he's going into free agency uh, in the off season. So I just wonder whether or not uh, Houston see him as as a piece of their future. They're obviously going to be looking at a, almost a full rebuild now, and there's every chance they're going to land a potentially in a top three uh, lottery pick. So they might decide just to go totally the other way and have a really clean. Uh, rebuild, and I just wonder whether Oladipo is going to be a part of that, and whether there's another trade to be made before the deadline for him, because that's going to be a big decision for whoever, whatever team you know decides to to pay him, because he's going to be looking for a, a sizable contract this time around. You know, just with the with the injury history, is he an All Star level player? He's shown flashes of it at time to time, but I just think it's a quite an intriguing situation uh, for him personally, and also for for Houston just around that, whether they think he's part of part of their team going forward. 
Yeah, it certainly is. He, he's on a $21 million expiring contract. So I believe Houston did offer him an extension and, and it was the max that they could do. I believe it was only a couple of years and $50 million or something around that mark was all they were allowed to to offer him and he did decline that. So he's obviously looking for a big payday. Now, you said there that it looked like his athleticism, had, athleticism hadn't quite waned. Well, I, I think it has, maybe not from the last two years, but certainly his first year in Indiana when he was an all-star and he put up some really good numbers there. He's certainly not the athlete he was back then where he's one of the, the better athletes in the competition. So there's certainly got to be some question marks. I thought he started the year pretty well in Indiana where, where he was maybe the second or third option behind Sabonis and Brogdon. But then when he's flipped over to Houston and maybe he's more of the man, he's probably struggled a little bit in that role. So I think that's really interesting given that it is going onto the open market. Now, it is a bit of a bear uh, free agency market uh, in the in the upcoming offseason. So that will obviously play in his favour. But I'd be interested to see if Houston uh, do look to move him before the trade line. I think they will. And I'll be interested to see if teams are happy to give up somebody, you know, to, to acquire someone like Oladipo, given he probably hasn't quite performed to the expectations that you would have hoped. And he's going to be looking for a big payday in the offseason. The name Miami keeps coming up. Oladipo supposedly has wanted to play there for a number of seasons. And obviously Miami do always look to add those sort of all-star caliber players. Can you see Houston moving on um, on from him before the trade deadline, Caddy? Or do you think he'll end, he'll end, end the season in Houston and then just become a free agent? Oh, look, I think Houston will probably be doing everything they can to try and move him and try and get another draft asset in. They obviously have got um, quite a lot of picks coming their way going forward. So they're in a position to really uh, look to rebuild. So if they can get... You know, really anything, I think, at this stage, for all of Depot, it's going to be better than either having to pay him a monstrous contract or letting him walk for nothing. So I think they've got the opportunity in the next couple of weeks to try and look around the league and see if there is something, whether it be a young player or whether it be you know, a late first-round pick or something like that, just add to their chest as well to really help them on the rebuild. Because I, I just don't see that, you know, he's obviously not going to help them do anything this season. And then um, I really do wonder whether they, they think he's the guy to, to go forward with it. Now, in hindsight, you just wonder, you know, I don't know the machinations of how that whole trade unfolded, but, you, you know, if there was a choice between having Karis Levert um, on your team or Victor Oladipo for the for the next two or three years, I think if it was me, I would have probably preferred having the younger Karis Levert. Um, yeah, well, they certainly know. could have had him. I mean, there's no there's no reason. It could have just been a direct swap. They obviously got Houston involved in that. Um, uh, sorry, Indiana involved in that because they preferred Oladipo, which is strange. I, I, I agree with you. I'd prefer Levert given he's younger. Um, he's obviously got an injury, an injury history as well. But when they traded hard and Houston did say that they wanted an established star to come back in that package and Victor Depot was supposed to be that established star, I suppose. So it will be interesting to see if they do move on from him before the trade deadline or if they just try to re-sign him or just let him freely move on in the offseason. If, if you're thinking you're not going to be willing to pay him what, He's, he wants, and I'm sure they'll have the conversation and say, what are you looking for, and then make their mind up. You might as well, it's similar to some of these other guys we've already spoken about. We'll, we'll move on from him and get as much as you can. Yeah, absolutely, and you know the, the opportunity's there for them, and I just wonder what the team that's going to trade for him, I think it would be a contender to add to their depth chasing a title down the track, so you just wonder who that team would be and, and where, where the greatest fit for him would be to ride this season out. Yeah, it will be interesting to see what does happen. And as you said, if one of those teams does stick up their hand, who that might be. Now, one of the players that intrigues me heading into the second half of the season is LaMelo Ball. 
And the reason he intrigues me so much is because he's been so effective since he's gone into the starting lineup. In the 16 games since he's been in, inserted in the, st- in the starting lineup, he's putting up 20 points a game, 6.2 rebounds and 6.7 assists, shooting 45% from the field, 40% from three and 86% from the free throw line. Now they're, they're basically borderline all-star numbers. So it's going to be really interesting to see if he can, if he can continue that momentum heading into the second half of the season. We know when Lamella was drafted, the biggest question on him was his shooting. Well, what, what you see there, those numbers that he's put up since he's gone into the starting lineup, 40% from three on six and a half attempts a game and 86% from the free throw line. Well, I think he's put those questions to bed. We know what a great passer he is. We see all the highlights of behind-the-back passes, the alley-oop uh, throws, uh, passes that he throws to, to Miles Bridges. But the most important thing is he's a really good playmaker. You see some guys and you hear about some guys who were some really good passers. And D'Angelo Russell springs to mind. He's one of those guys that his draft year coming into the league, it was spoken about what a really good passer D'Angelo Russell is. Well, he might be a really good passer, but he's not a great playmaker. He doesn't make any of his teammates any better. We have, we've seen that right throughout his career, that he hasn't been a great uh, playmaker for, for his team that he's with. But Lamello certainly makes his, his teammates better. We see guys running the floor. Bridges, I already mentioned. You see Tyler, Tyler Zeller getting up and up and down the floor because he gets some really easy baskets. So I'm just really interested to see if Lamello can continue this or whether that was just a bit of a, a bit of a hot sort of streak there. And once the defences get used to the way he's playing, that he sort of slows down a bit. Because, as I said, heading, heading into the draft in what was considered to be a weak draft, it was considered to be a three-player draft, and given that he was the last of those three players to get drafted, you know, I'm pretty sure if Minnesota and Golden State had their time again, that they would be taking Lamelo Ball now. So yeah, as I said, I'm really interested to see if he can continue this in the second half of the season. What have you seen so far from him since he's been inserted into the starting lineup, Caddy? And do you think he continue on in that vein of form? Yeah, I've got real confidence with Lamelo Ball. I think you know when he. Going into the draft, I was probably on the side of um, more the positive side of things. I just think um, at his size in particular, he's a really good size for a, for a playmaking guard. Um, there's a real advantage for him. And, you know, I haven't been as surprised with his level of play. I think he was going to come in and, and be a terrific player. Um, and it's a great news story for Charlotte, who, you know, haven't had a great um, result with uh, lottery picks over the last sort of six or eight years. So I think it looks like they've got this one right and it gives them a real good chance now to continue to build and see what this um what this roster has to offer. So that coupled with the fact that Gordon Hayward's been able to come in and play at a really high level as well, has been a couple of big wins for Michael Jordan and, and his management of the Charlotte Hornets because you know there, there was a lot of questions asked about the Gordon Hayward contract. There was a lot of questions, uh, a lot of queries on the Lamelo Ball pick, but it's you know both of them so far have been able to come off. So they've now got opportunity to build out and they've got they've got some cap space going into next year and you know Lamelo Ball is that type of player that people will probably want to play with because he is such a as you mentioned great playmaker and a great passer and he's going to make you better so you know that you've got to take your done. hat off to Mitch Kupchak the 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 GM of, of the Hornets he, he was brought in and he's and his three first round picks since he's been there have been Bridges PJ Washington and Lamelo Ball so he basically hasn't missed there like you know Washington and Bridges aren't stars but the picks they were drafted in, you can argue that was the right pick, and obviously Lamella was. So getting Kupchak, who was the former GM of, of the Lakers and obviously has a has a relationship with Michael Jordan, I think that there's a North Carolina connection there maybe. So getting him in has been really big for, for Charlotte, and, yeah, he, he's nailed his draft pick so far. Yeah, so look, I think Lamella Ball will continue to play well going forward to the end of the year. He's, you know, we've seen him play in Australia. He's, he's played in other countries as well. He seems to be a bit more well-rounded. And a normal rookie, so I think that you know, there won't be an issue 
for him being able to see out the season at a high level, and that's going to give Charlotte every chance to stay in that playoff mix where they are currently sitting um, in the seventh seat at the moment, which is you know quite amazing, really. Now, given how impressive Lamelo's been since he's entered the starting lineup and and the big jump he's taken, I'm going to throw a few names at you, and you tell me who you prefer to have on your team: Lamelo Ball or Trey Young going forward. Not now, going forward. Oh, gee, that, that's a tough one. We know, I mean, um, Trey Young's obviously brings a whole different element. To his game and you know just the, from a scoring point of view so look it's, it, it is hard to kind of project that out but I suppose that's what all these franchises need to do look I, I'd probably suggest Lamelo Ball going longer term I think he's got a more rounded game than Trey Young he's got more size um, and I think his game you know particular particularly if his three-point shooting can stay at the level that we've seen I mean he's shooting at 37 percent from three this year which is you know a fantastic effort so if he can keep that shooting in and around that 37, uh, 38% from three, then what do you, all the other bits he brings to the table, I think it does probably outpoint a guy like Trey Young. Yeah, I actually agree with you there, which some people might find surprising. But yeah, he, I think he'd be much more enjoyable to play with. He doesn't hold onto the ball as much as, as Trey Young does. He's only got a usage of 24%. Six foot six as opposed to six foot one. Trey Young's much skinnier. Uh, and Lamelo's just a much better defender. Now he's fifth in the NBA in steals. Now steals obviously isn't always indicative of a really good defender, but he's actually ninth in the league in deflections as well. So, and you look at, you look at some of the guys that are around the mark of deflections as him. You've got Ben Simmons, Fred Van Vliet, who's a really good stout defender, Robert Covington, Jimmy Butler, uh, OG Ananobi, Marcus Smart. These are some of the guys and Drew Holiday, Matisse Thibel. These are some of the guys that he's, he's really close to, uh, to in deflections as well. So I think given his playmaking ability, his shooting's obviously much better than we initially thought. And the fact that he's certainly a much better defender than Trey Young, Trey, Trey Young's basically a sieve on that end. I'd actually give the edge towards towards Lamelo Ball as well. The next one I'll throw at you is Jar Morant. I look. I think at this stage I'll stay with Jar Morant. I think he's been able to show, you know, he's got real superstar potential in Memphis. And if he can, you know, just stay on the court, stay healthy, then I've got a lot of confidence in Jar Morant being being a, a, a future All Star and a long term All Star player. And yeah, I think he's got a few more tricks, particularly. Um, from a scoring point of view, than Lamelo Ball has shown at this stage, so I'd probably wouldn't put Lamelo past him um, just yet. Yeah, this is boring because I agree with you too. I'm I'm a big fan of Jar Moran. I think he he's the kind of player that you can put the ball in his hands at the end of the game, and he can create a shot for somebody else or make the shot himself. And Lamelo, not quite at that level yet. Not saying he's not going to get there, but we saw the game yesterday when it was Terry Rozier for for Charlotte who closed the game out for him. If there's ever a game that needs to be closed out for Memphis, the ball's in Jar Morant's hands. So despite the fact Lamelo's certainly a better defender at this stage and and a lot and a lot sort of solid than a lot more solid than Jar Morant, I will lean with Lamelo on that one. The last one I'll throw at you is Carl Anthony Towns. Well, Carl Anthony Towns is probably going to be the most fascinating player in the league at the moment. I just look at him and, and just wonder what the future is going to be for him and, and when when that move probably out of Minnesota is going to happen. I just can't see it being a long-term play there. And, you know, he has had six years in the league and, and you know, I don't know that he's necessarily improved from, you know, say year three through to about year six. So, look, if that um, trajectory continues, then I'd, I'd probably rather have the franchise keys to LaMelo Ball. Yeah, it, it's a really tough one because, you know, I've mentioned this before, that the, the fact that when the GMs were asked about which player they'd prefer to start a franchise with, you know, I think this was about three or four years ago, Carl anthony Towns was the, was the player that was nominated. And you look at him, he's basically, you think he's the perfect prototype of an NBA player you want. He's seven foot, 
You know, he can defend at a reasonable level. He shoots a three at a really good clip, and he's basically got every shot in the book. But for some reason, he doesn't seem to impact winning. The only time they've made the playoffs was when Jimmy Butler was there. So I don't know how much you can attribute that to Carl Anthony Towns. Since Butler's left, they've really struggled. And, you know, there's been some mitigating circumstances, obviously, for why Carl Anthony Towns hasn't quite hit his straps this year. He's still a very good player, but this is a really tough one for me. I'd probably just lean slightly towards Carl Anthony Towns just because I still think that, as I said, I think he's a complete player. Maybe he just needs to get to a different scenario with a different coach who knows how to push his buttons correctly and, and bring the best out of him because I think he's best. You know, he, he's right up there with, with any player in the competition. I'm not sure where he'd sit if you were sort of ranking your top 20 players or whatever, but he's certainly got the talent to push, you know, and maybe even a top 10 player if, if he puts it all together. Lamelo Ball, maybe not quite at that level. So I would slightly lean just towards Carl Anthony Towns. But it's it's remarkable given Lamelo Ball was the third pick in what was considered to be a third in a, in a weak draft. And, and, you know, we're throwing up all these really good players in the NBA and, you know, he's right there with them. So as we said, hats off to Charlotte for, for nailing that draft pick. We'll move on now to some of the rumours. Obviously, I mentioned last week that the, uh, the, the trade deadline is fast approaching. And some names that have been thrown out that the Philadelphia 76ers would be keen on acquiring are Will Barton, DeLon Wright, George Hill, or PJ Tucker, who we heard during the week isn't going to play for Houston. He was said to be really disappointed that he hadn't been moved on as yet. So he's not going to suit up with Houston until he's moved, whether that be via trade or whether it ends up being a buyout. Out of those four names, Caddy, which which one intrigues you the most to add to Philly? Um, look, I think they'd be looking for a guard personally. So, look, I, I think a guy like Will Barton would be a, a really good fit in Philly. Just another guy that, you know, towards the end of the shot clock can make his own, uh, get his own shot. Because, you know, albeit PJ Tucker is able to, to hit an open three, you're really looking at him more as, you know, a defensive banker and, a, and another player to come in. And I don't see that as probably being Philly's deficiency at this, this stage. I think for them, it really is about getting another uh, end-of-game scorer in. And Will Barton, for me, has probably got that ability to help them on the off- offensive end in particular. Now, you know, depending, they, they've got a lot depending on this Embiid injury, and that's really going to have to play out before they sort of make too many decisions before the deadline. But, um, yeah, I, I would have thought out of, out of that list I'd be looking at Will Barton. He's owed $14 million this year and $15 million next year, so it would pretty much be a straight swap, you'd imagine, for Danny Green and maybe some draft capital going forward. Would you prefer to have Will Barton? Obviously, Danny Green has struggled with his shot, and he's been really up and down the last few years. It looks like he's coming to the end of his, of his run there. He's still a reasonable defender. Will Barton's obviously not quite at that level, but certainly adds more offensively. Would you, would you make that trade if it was, say, Danny Green and, I don't know, a, a late first-round pick or an early second-round pick? Yeah, I probably would. Like, I know what I think. Everyone knows what Danny Green brings to the brings to the table, and his defense is you know pretty good. He's been renowned to be able to um, shut down players, but that's probably waning a little bit. And his three point shooting is probably a bit more hot and cold than you'd probably like at this stage. I just think Will Barton's got more tricks on the offensive end, and he can score in a, a number of different ways. And he's been able to come back into this Denver lineup. We did speak about Denver a few weeks back, and just concerned about where that sort of third or fourth scoring option is going to come from. And he's been able to step up, particularly over the last five or six games and scoring, you know, the mid-teens. And, you know, his last game here, he's had 21 points with five three-pointers shooting 57%. The game before, he shot 16 points at 77%. So he's got that ability to come in, uh, make make some buckets and, and really help the offense. And I think that's for me, would be a, a preference to a guy like Danny Green at this stage. 
Yeah, I agree. I'd certainly take uh, Barton over Danny Green. The one that I'd be intrigued to see uh, Philly acquire would be DeLon Wright. Now, he's had a bit of a bounce-back year in Detroit. He, saw, he went over to Dallas and, and signed with them for, for three seasons, and it was thought it was going to be a really good mix with Luca there, but he, he just struggled a bit. He didn't quite adapt to that role, didn't have the ball in his hands probably as much as he would have liked, and he and his, his scoring went down to only 6.9 points a game. Now, it's jumped back up. It's only at the 10 and a half. Uh, points a game, but it, but his shooting's got back up to thirty eight percent from three, and and he's six foot five, and he's a really good defender. So I think he brings sort of that two way versatility that you do need for Philly. So if you did lose Danny Green, you're basically bringing an upgraded version, I'd reckon, of Danny Green. So I think Delon Wright could be a really intriguing piece for them. I agree. Will Barton certainly would be good as well. So I wouldn't be against. I wouldn't be against Will Barton or DeLon Wright coming across to Philly because I think um, either one of those could bring quite a bit to the table. The interesting thing is, and you mentioned it earlier, the fact with Joel Embiid now going down with, you know, who knows how serious that knee injury is. It didn't look great. Hopefully for Philly's case, it, he's not out for too long. But but if he is out for, let's say, a month and a half, do you think that they would look to add a centre maybe a PJ Tucker to play that small ball five or somebody else to sort of fill the void while Embiid's out so they don't slide down the rankings too much and then he gets right for, for the playoffs because you'd obviously have to insert Dwight Howard in as, as that, that starting five. Do you want to do that or would you prefer to keep Howard in that backup role where he's been really successful for the Lakers last year and also Philly this year? Do you think they will look to add a centre if that uh, injury to Embiid is you know for an extended period? Look, I think they will, and particularly if it is, you know, a, a really serious one where he misses extended time. Well, you know, you might have a couple of guys sitting there waiting, and, and one we spoke about earlier could be Lamarcus Aldridge. You know, that could be a, an, an enticing proposition for him to head across to Philadelphia and you know, know that he's going to be deep into the playoffs. The other one's obviously Andre Drummond. So if that got to a buyout situation, then I'm sure Philly would have some interest in in bringing him him in, uh, particularly if that Embiid injury is is quite serious. So I think there are some avenues there for Philly, and I think that would be definitely a preference for them to, to add some big man support as well. Yeah, I agree. I'm not sure you want to want to give Tony Bradley too many minutes. In, in, in a team that you know is looking to to be a certainly a top two or three seed, you, you don't want to rely on Dwight Howard and Tony Bradley as your as your centre sort of rotation there. So yeah, Lamarcus Aldridge would be would be an interesting interesting one. You know, if Embiid is out for an extended period of time. Well, speaking about Aldridge, it was obviously it was a bit of a surprise. We spoke about the fact last week that Aldridge had been sort of mentioned, but we didn't think it had come to fruition this quickly. Greg Popovich in his in his press conference just sort of blurted it out the fact that that they had spoken to Lamarcus and you know he, he wasn't going to play with San Antonio and they, and they were going to do the right thing by him and and try to move him on, whether it be by trade or via a buyout. I think it's probably more likely a buyout if it is via buyout, Caddy. Who do you think best suits uh, LaMarcus Aldridge? Well, I think, yeah, we've mentioned a couple of teams already. I mean, I think Portland, there's a, a natural fit there potentially and, and, and a need. I think Philly, uh, we mentioned there. Boston's another one that's looking for a big. I'm sure, you know, even the LA Lakers would potentially like some some more support, particularly if there's some long longer-term issues with Anthony Davis. So, Where do you um, think, think he'd play the most minutes? Because, I mean, we don't know that this to be the fact, but he, he had started to come off the bench at San Antonio and maybe – I mentioned last week it was the first time since his rookie season that he'd come off the bench. Now, he's, maybe he's not happy with his the way his role had been diminished. He might be happy with a more diminished role in a team that he thinks can win a championship. But where do you see him actually going where he could actually play, you know, maybe a 20 to 25 minutes as opposed to, you know, a 12 to 15 minute stint? Yeah, well, I think that'll be the tough part if we're talking about these uh, contenders. The, the minutes probably won't be there, but... 
what about a team like Phoenix potentially that could add add some more veteran help to support Chris Paul and Devin Booker? I mean, they've obviously got DeAndre Ayton playing, you know, the majority of the centre minutes, but Aldridge could certainly be an option for Phoenix to, you know, have a bit more support into the playoffs to back up Ayton and, you know, and know that they've got a guy that's been there and done that before. So potentially, um, I think if there was a spot there in terms of playing more minutes, then, you know, I, I could see a fit potentially with Phoenix also. Yeah, no doubt. And Phoenix Phoenix uh, tried really hard to get him when he was a free agent when he initially did sign with San Antonio. So, yes, he, th- that would be a good fit, I think. The, the one interesting name, and, and this team at the moment obviously isn't in the playoff scenario, but what about Washington? They've got a horrendous uh, centre rotation at the moment of of Robin Lopez, who's obviously really struggling. He's he's coming towards towards the end of his career and not really giving him a lot. So and Mo Wagner's the other one who they're, who they're playing off the bench, and Alex Len. I'm is, I'm not even sure if Alex Len's still there, but they've got since Thomas Bryant's been injured, they've been really struggling for a big man in the centre. Lamarcus could come in and actually start for them, and he's playing around two guys. Well, certainly Bradley Beal's still an all-star, and Russell Westbrook's still certainly an above-average player. What about Lamarcus going to Washington and maybe looking to maybe revive his career there, put up some numbers, and then in, in the off-season he might still be able to get a decent contract? Well, I think that'd be the only incentive for him to do that is if he does see an opportunity to you know really further showcase that he still has some longevity left in the league, then you know potentially that that could work for him if he's not that incentivized by um, playing playoff basketball. So that'll be an interesting one. Look, I don't know. Do you think Washington could push? Because it's obviously really crowded in the East. If you add LaMarcus, now we know, we said, I said this last week, LaMarcus Aldridge isn't the player he used to be. But you add him to Bradley Beal and, and Westbrook and Rui Hachimura sort of to come, started to come along a little bit. Davis Batans can, it started to find his shot. If you add Aldridge there, it's obviously a lot better than what they're rolling out at centre at the moment. And Washington have started to get their act a little bit to get, uh, t- together a little bit, although they've lost their last couple. Do you think they could push for the playoffs with Lamarcus there? Well, yeah. Look, they could probably push still without him there. I mean, you're looking at the standings, and they are only two games out of the play-in tournament and two and a half games out of the eight seed. So it isn't curtains just yet, although getting that feel that they're just not going to be good enough. But, yeah, look, whether Aldridge shift, shifts the needle for them in any meaningful way, well, who knows. But, yeah, look, as, as you mentioned, there, there, there could be an ability for him to play more minutes, so there could be, that could be an attraction, no doubt. Yeah, I think they're sort of a dark horse team, although yeah, most guys that get bought out or, or who, who some of these guys are going to get traded are probably going to get traded for teams that are, you know, right in that in that championship hunt. But even someone like a, an Andre Drummond, you know, you would assume he's going to want to go to maybe a Brooklyn or a Boston or one of these teams who, who are right in the hunt for a championship. But I think there's a real window there to go to Washington if you are a centre and contribute, you know, play alongside Bradley Beal, who's, who's a leading scorer in the NBA. Russell Westbrook's obviously up and down, but he's sort of been a lot better over the last month. So, yeah, I think Washington might be a bit of a dark horse to see. If they're not going to trade Bradley Beal because they want to hold on to him, you'd think they're going to want to really push for the playoffs. And given how how bad their centre rotation is, maybe they'll look to add one of these guys. Uh, We'll call it there, as I say every week. Thank you very much to everyone who continues to download the podcast. Again, as I say every week, if you haven't been onto Apple Podcasts and given us a five-star rating, if you could do that, we'd appreciate that very much. And we'll talk to everyone next week. Thank you.